Well, we're looking at uh, spiritual gifts, and a couple of weeks ago when we were here in this text, we talked about the fact that there are a lot of misconceptions about spiritual gifts. We said that uh, spiritual gifts can appear to be chaotic, and that's a misconception, that they would be uh, disorderly, that they would be uh, something that would, would be something that would look like uh, chaos is going on. Um, it was so bad in Corinth that Paul had to say in verse 3, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And so there was all kinds of things going on. And we find in churches today that there are some churches that just believe that the practice of spiritual gifts and the display of spiritual gifts is something that should be um, not in order, but something that just kind of looks like uh, a scene where everybody's kind of doing their own thing, and sometimes in extreme cases, you've got people rolling around on the floor um, and uh, doing all kinds of weird and wild stuff. But spiritual gifts are not to be chaotic. They are to be practiced in order, and we'll see that especially as we get to chapter 14 of our study. But another common misconception is that unity would be found in a common gift, and there were certain gifts that were prized in the church of Corinth. One of them seemed to be the gift of tongues. And so Paul writes extensively about that in this section. And unity doesn't come from everybody having the same gift. Unity comes from a variety of gifts, but all by the same spirit and all working together. And so we see that in verse 12, it says, sorry, verse 4 of chapter 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So it's a misconception to say that unity might be found in a common gift. Another misconception is that not everyone has a spiritual gift. And our text makes it clear that everyone has a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 6 and 7 says, There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're talking here about believers. If you have repented of your sins, if you've turned and trusted as in Christ as your Lord and Master, if you um, trust in uh, His work on the cross for salvation and look forward to a future resurrection from the grave because of the work which He has accomplished and His conquering death, uh, then if you are His, you are in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And we have this idea Sometimes that uh, uh, we just come to church to be fed, and while it's true that we feast on the Word of God, there are many other responsibilities among the body of Christ, and each one of us has a responsibility to use your gift. And when we talk about these gifts, and I think Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, and there, there are four places in Scripture where we have spiritual gifts listed out. Uh, there are two twelves and two fours. So Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you find it, and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. That's where we find lists of spiritual gifts. Uh, I think that Paul's point here is not necessarily to say that uh, this is a comprehensive list, that these are all the gifts. He lists nine here, but there are certainly more than that because we have other gifts listed in other places. I think his point is to say that there are varying gifts and that you shouldn't prize one above the other and God gifts each one as he wills. I also think that it's, it's um, I think sometimes we can get caught up in trying to look after, look for a specific gift, whereas uh, these seem to be categories of gifts. And I think that God gifts people uniquely and gives them a measure of, of giftings that uh, your gift may not be just in one area. And so it might be two or three different areas that he's gifted you in. It's also to be distinguished from a natural gifting. Uh, a natural gifting, people in the world, people who are unbelievers can have natural giftings. We say, oh, that person's gifted or they're in a gifted program or whatever it is, musically or intellectually or um, maybe in speech. But when we talk about uh, spiritual gifts, they are gifts that um, may correspond to natural gifts, it would be unlikely that someone would have the gift of teaching and, and nobody could stand listening to them. Uh, but the actual gift is uh, effective in ways that only the Spirit can work. And so it is a spiritual gift, not to be confused with just a common gift or a gift that um, any unbeliever could have. 
And uh, finally, a fourth misconception is that some spiritual gifts should be practiced privately. There is a view out there that, oh, I have my spiritual gift, but I do it privately. But our text makes clear in one place is in verse 7, where it uses the phrase, for the common good. So spiritual gifts are to build up the body of Christ. They are to testify to messages that are spoken, the word of God that is spoken, and build up the body. As we look, uh, we've we've looked at, we've started to look at uh, the examples beginning in verse 8 with the word of wisdom. And we saw this first gift here, the word of wisdom. We define that as God revealing his hidden mysteries to individual who would explain them to his people. So uh, God reveals his hidden mysteries to individuals who then explain them to his people. We talked a lot about mysteries. Mysteries are things that we find in Scripture that were yet uh, uh, not understood or even something that maybe a prophet would say that had not yet been understood but later is revealed. And there are certain people who have wisdom who are able to uh, understand that and apply that. The apostles may have applied that differently than somebody could today, and we're talking more than just uh, general wisdom, but we're talking about the gift of wisdom given to an individual who is is going to share it with the church. We also talked about the word of knowledge. We defined the word of knowledge as the ability to grasp information um, and by the Holy Spirit apply it to various connections or circumstances. And again, um, uh, this worked alongside those who were doing teaching um, and they had to understand it. It, it. it does not seem to be what um, some people refer to as the word of knowledge today, where they just kind of um, say something uh, mysterious to someone. I'm, I'm having a word of knowledge. Um, uh, th- this has become a sort of a word that's been stripped from its original context and meaning and used in many churches to sort of give somebody a prophetic um, appearance that though that they have something that God has told them. Um, Pat Robertson uh, in, when was it? Wow, was it 2002 predicted the presidential, or no, 1992, uh, Bush. He said the Bush would uh, be reelected to another term. And he was wrong. And he said it's a word of knowledge God had given him. He had no explanation after, after uh, uh, Bush lost that, his second term election, um, other than maybe God changed his mind, which is a really disappointing uh, excuse for the immutable God who doesn't change. And, and, but it's in spite of that, people tend to use that kind of language to say that God is telling them something that's specific for a person. And I don't believe that's what the word of knowledge was. We talked about that pretty extensively. And so um, um, we're going to move on. We talked about the gift, gift of faith as well. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. The gift of faith was the ability to trust God, or is the ability, can be today, to trust God even in extremely difficult circumstances. And then we started to talk about the gifts of healing and the gifts of miracles because we can join those together uh, because, uh, um, I mean, if you heal somebody, it can also be a miracle. Uh, And we distinguished this, um, we defined a miracle as an extraordinary event fashioned by God that cannot be explained by natural forces. An extraordinary event event that, that was fashioned by God that cannot be explained by natural forces. We differentiated that between just God's act of, acts of providence. Providence is God's overseeing care for his creation or his creatures. So uh, providence is God's hand working in our lives, orchestrating things according to his will, but he providentially will work. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a miracle. And I gave several examples. I gave the example of uh, you're driving through a parking lot and you're, you're looking for a place and all of a sudden the number one spot opens up and you're tempted to say, it's a miracle. Um, but there's a natural explanation for why that could occur. Uh, and so that would not be a miracle. That could be God's ha- hand of providence for you to be able to 
conveniently park in the number one spot. Um, but uh, it, it's not necessarily uh, a miracle. And so um, there are many acts of divine providence that can be explained. But when we talk about the gift of miracles or the gift of healings, we're talking about something that was given to an individual. We also mentioned last time in closing that uh, when we talk about the gift of miracles or the gift of healing, we are not denying, even though we believe that those gifts are not in effect today, that is not to say that God does not heal today, nor is it to say that God does not do miracles today. Um, God may choose to heal, and yet uh, we don't believe that he gave someone, gives people today the same gift of miracles that the apostles had, that Jesus was able to perform. When we look at Jesus's miracles and the apostles' miracles, and, and you know, healing would be one of them, but casting out demons might be another one. Um, and you wouldn't say that that's the same as healing, but it certainly would be a miracle to be able to do that. Um, but when we look at Jesus's healing, for example, it was instantaneous. It didn't, he wasn't saying two years from now you will be healed, which is a convenient way some people, uh, some faith healers, so-called faith healers today say things. It was 100% successful. Each person was, it occurred with a, a matter of minutes, not days or weeks or months. And um, it didn't require a recovery period. Um, there, it, there wasn't a, a, a loss of it. Um, you know, within a short period of time, oh, it, it came back. We don't have any records of things like that. Jesus' healings were also visible. They were done apart from any major medical attention that could possibly have taken credit for the healing. In some cases, he actually used very unconventional methods to demonstrate that this indeed was a miracle. Mud and saliva does not, uh, even today with modern science, it is not helpful for ophthalmology. And so when we look at um, um, the healings that occurred in, in biblical times, they were organic, they were visible. It wasn't something like lower back pain that couldn't be measured. Um, and not to deny that lower back pain can be an infirmity and not to deny that God can heal you from it. And sometimes lower back pain, now through x-rays, we can see why it's there, but sometimes you can't. And so um, uh, I'm not saying that there are not genuine ailments that people have, but they're not necessarily organic because they can't always be seen by the human eye. But um, when we, we, we talked about the fact that healings were immediate, they were organic, even unbelievers were healed, so it wasn't necessarily dependent upon someone uh, having enough faith to get healed. That is faith in, in, in Christ or faith that he could do it. Um, and so um, uh, we have uh, Luke 17 is one where we have 10 lepers, but only one came back to glorify God and thank Jesus. We looked at several passages. Um, and then we started talking about the healing and miracles that were undeniable, even the those who were the Jewish rulers did not deny it. Acts 4, 16 and 17 would be an example of that. They also included raising people from the dead. But I want to move on, and we can come back if you have more questions about those things we've already covered. But I want to move on this morning and talk, I want to begin with a question here. What was the purpose of miracles? Why did the gift of miracles, why was it given to certain individuals like the 12 apostles who were sent out in Luke 9 and Matthew 10, or the 70 who were sent out in Luke 10, why did they have those signs that were given? Uh, what was the purpose of the gift? Yes, Jen. Yeah, so it was to give credence to their authority, their authority to do what? To preach the truth. In a day and age when there were many false prophets and where you didn't have the word of God completed and in a form like we have today, how would you know if somebody's a false prophet or a true prophet? 
Well, the true prophets had sign gifts that went with them. That doesn't mean that there can't be deceiving spirits that seem to have uh, gifts, but uh, seem to be able to do supernatural things. But uh, the signs of an apostle, we read in, um, in, for example, Romans 15, verse 18, Paul says, For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Preaching the gospel was the focus and, and the signs verified the message. They pointed to the message. Mark 16, 20 is another clear passage on the purpose of the sign gifts. In Mark 16, 20, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through accompanying signs. So the Lord was confirming the word which was spoken. What you find is when you find signs, they were confirming the message being preached. Um, Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, how shall we escape if we accept so, if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so we have this idea that when we look at certain gifts, um, that were the gift of miracles or the gift of healings, uh, today people seek after those or pretend to have them almost as though that is the goal, that that's the end. When they're referred to throughout Scripture as signs, uh, if you go up the 5 freeway or the 14 freeway, there are signs on the freeway pointing to the Master's University. And if I told you, hey, would you like to meet me at the Master's University today? And you said, sure. And I get there and I call you and say, where are you? I said, I'm right off the five freeways. I'm right here. It says the Master's University. I would just say, hey, no, 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 you're at the sign. You're not at the, the reality. It points towards an actual campus with buildings. Uh, and it's dangerous. Get off the five freeway. Get, you know, come, come to the campus. Just follow the signs. And same things with those signs given to apostles, given to individuals who were proclaiming the truth in those early ages um, that they verified the message. So when we ask the question, do have certain gifts, are, are certain gifts not today? Have certain gifts fallen away, like the gift of um, miracles or the gift of healing? Again, not to confuse that with saying that people don't get healed today or that God doesn't do miracles today. If you've come to faith in Christ, that's a miracle. Um, the fact that you will be raised from the dead is a miracle. Uh, so we believe that there are miracles today, that there are, will be miracles. We believe that through prayer, God can miraculously heal people today, yet we don't see that as a sign of verifying the gift he may choose to do that. He may not choose to do that. But we pray, thy will be done. We pray, James teaches us, according to the will of God. Because we want whatever glorifies him the most. And when we gave our lives to Christ, we died. And therefore, we no longer live. And so we're not looking for our earthly bodies. The goal of this life is not that our earthly bodies, that we would, we would never die, that we would just keep on being healed, um, the goal of this life is to glorify Christ who gave his life for us and he's everything to us. And therefore we live differently and we trust. So there's really no need for gifts like that and there's really nothing that looks like them. We don't have um, anything today. And listen, I spent 19 years in Africa the health and wealth and prosperity gospel sells in Africa. And it is, uh, I've seen a lot of people been taken by it and caught up in it, and they just can't see it straight. And there are all kinds of people trying to go to get healing of their infirmities. And um, it, it becomes such a frenzy, but there are so many of them that come away disappointed. Now, 
the question does arise, and I think this would be a good thing for us to discuss here, and that is, what happens when someone goes to a so-called faith healer and he appears to get healed? Because I think that if you talk to someone who believes that the gift of healing still exists today and given to certain individuals, one of their chief arguments is, but I've seen it. I've seen somebody who had an infirmity. They went, and they went to this certain prophet or apostle or some title like that, and they came back, and they're better. So how would you respond to that? What are some of the reasons why they might have gotten healed? Who's got, who's got an idea? Who's got an answer for that? Yes. Okay. So maybe... Um, we'll try to use positive words other than psychosomatic. Um, but um, uh, how about if we say it could be the power of suggestion? The power of suggestion is something that is medically documented. And it's pretty amazing what happens to people with health issues when they think that the treatment they're getting is the best treatment and it's effective. There was a study done um, in the Clinical Psychology Review uh, in July of 1993. They had a story about Dr. Alan Roberts, director of medical psychology at Scripps Clinic and Research Foundation. He reported the findings from 6,931 patients who received tra treatments that were later medically discredited. So they had these patients. They had received this treatment that they thought was state-of-the-art. They later found out it does nothing. Nothing medically happens with that treatment. And what they found is that almost one-third of the former patients still reported they had good results from their treatment, and 40% reported they had excellent results from the treatment. So 70% of the people that were treated and told this is the best treatment you can get, state-of-the-art, it, it helps, and later they found out it does nothing, 70% reported that they're better. Um, one, one doctor, Dr. Franklin E. Payne, Dr. Payne, I don't know, um, <laughs> he's the author of Biblical Healing for Modern Medicine. He comments this, what is remarkable is that it works. The effect is so consistent and strong that medical research sometimes considered invalid unless a placebo is administered to one group of patients along with another group who receives the actual medication. Not uncommonly, the placebo group does well and sometimes better than those who receive the medication. Furthermore, the placebo can sometimes cause physiologic real changes. For example, blood pressure can be lowered, intestinal ulcers healed, and migraines relieved. You can give somebody a sugar pill, and if you tell them that it's effective, they can talk themselves into it. Some, I mean, this is why sugar is still okay. <laughs> Am I saying that all people who think that they were healed by a faith healer, it's just a placebo effect? No. But it could be up to 70%. It could, could be of those who who say that. What would be some other reasons? What would be some other reasons that we could say? Yes? That's right. Yep. So it could be that God chose to supernaturally heal that person and that through prayer, for whatever reason, God chose to heal that person. And so that could be a, a valid reason for why they are better now. And it may not, it's not necessarily related to the fact that they went to a faith healer or someone who declared to be a faith healer. That's right. Yes. Right. Right. So that brings up another point, and that is that if the gift of miracles and the gift of healing was to verify the words spoken, 
you would assume that that gift would be given to people with really good theology. And yet, if their theology is demonstrated to be poor or um, heretical, then what happens? Uh, you know, why would God do that? Well, I'm not going to try and answer why would God, but I would say that typically people who go to a faith healer for an ailment, um, they're, that's not all they do, right? They, they, they're praying about this for years, as long as it lasts. This is, you know, the, the, the more serious the ailment, the more frequently they pray. And so God can choose. I, I don't want to say that, that God cannot heal them. Um, it would be suspect if, if it made it look like it all happened. But again, I don't, I don't, I personally, and I've been to a lot of these things and I've talked to a lot of people, I have not seen anything that looks like what happens in the Bible. Yes? If God can use a donkey for his purpose, he can heal an unbeliever for his purpose. Yeah, yeah, he can, he can do it. So we're not denying that he can't do it. Another reason why some people may have the result of healing, though it may not be related to the fact they went to see a, a faith healer, is that many people who see a faith healer also take medical treatment for it. They might have cancer and get chemotherapy or some other type of cancer treatment and go to a faith healer, and the faith healer might actually um, uh, look for um, the, you know, the, might claim that they came to him and that's why they got healed. Uh, in fact, uh, F- Hank Hanegraaff wrote a book, Christianity in Crisis, where he tried to track down legitimate cases of several faith healers um, that didn't involve other medical explanations, and he was hard-pressed to find them. So it could be that medical attention was being given at the same time as uh, they went to see a, a faith healer. And then another possibility, and I, I, th- I think that this happens, unfortunately, is just charlatanism or deception. There are some people out there that have another motive besides glorifying God, and that's why they call themselves faith healers. And you don't have to look very far to find somebody who has some kind of story about this. I have a friend who uh, had, uh, or still has uh, one, one leg a little shorter than the other. For whatever reason, that seems to be a common thing that faith healers like to heal people of. And uh, uh, he told me that he went forward in a church one time that had a healing service and that the guy you know, had him put his, sit on a table and put his legs up there and he put his, his hand on the pant sleeve of the shorter leg and he started to pull it back and he was saying, I can see his leg growing. <laughs> and he was sorely disappointed. He said, he was, all he was doing was pulling my pant leg up. So, again, I'm not saying that every person who claims to be a faith healer is, has the ulterior motive of being a deceiver and out there for uh, money or some other lucrative means. I think there are some people who are deceived who, are, who say that they have the gift of healing. Um, but I don't believe that it is something that uh, we need today because we have the Word of God. So how can we verify that the Word of God is really being uh, preached or spoken? Uh, through the Word of God. So there's no need for it, and uh, therefore, I, I, there, there's, there's more I could say about this, but I, I would like to move on, but I don't want to move on too quickly. Are there any other questions about miracles or... Yes? So Satan can perform signs, and Satan wants to deceive the church, and so it certainly can be Satan involved in this. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 is one of the verses you might look to to see um, about the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And so 
whether or not he actually heals or whether or not he has a demon afflict somebody and then removes that demon for the appearance of healing, there are a number of possibilities. Um, Revelation 16, 14 is another place we find that for there are, they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle that great day of the Almighty that's in the future. Um, we also know from Revelation 19 that the beast and the Antichrist will perform false signs and wonders. So that's Revelation 19 verse 20. Uh, so I do think that, yeah, satanic deception can be part of this for sure. Yes. Yeah, so I've been trying to build a case. So the question is, what do you say to someone who um, maybe has a misunderstanding of the Bible, but out of good motives is trying to heal people and believes they have the gift? Yeah, so I don't deny that I don't deny that God heals. I, I believe God heals. Uh, I I just am not convinced from Scripture or from what I see that He gives the gift of healing today. And we know, which we'll see as we go on, that some gifts cease because First Corinthians fourteen says that the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge will be done away with, and the gift of tongues will cease. And so we know that there are some temporary sign gifts that were given to the early church. And so the question is, was the gift of healing a temporary sign gift? And uh, separating that from the knowledge that God heals and that we should all be praying for healing. When somebody comes to you and says, listen, I, am, I, am, I have cancer or I am, um, you know, uh, have... have uh, yeah, I'm pregnant and my baby is not well or whatever it is, the last thing we should be saying is, well, you know, the gift doesn't exist today, so you're out of luck. I mean, that, that, that would be completely insensitive and, and that would go, I mean, this, so just again, what's this whole focus here is not desiring the gift, but 1 Corinthians 13, it's desiring love. And when he talks about these gifts, he says, don't, don't be so caught up about the gifts. If you want to seek after something, seek after love, because love doesn't fail, and it doesn't cease. And so the loving thing is to pray for people and to pray that God would heal them. And 
ultimately to pray that God is glorified by them and share that God is glorified through their circumstance because circumstances shouldn't determine your joy or your happiness. Your joy or happiness happens because of what Christ has done and whatever glorifies him. And so uh, thanks for asking that question because I really do want to make it clear that we can lovingly uh, go to people and say, um, you know, hey, I think that what you're, uh, um, you know, we can have compassion and we can pray for that. But here's where I think it gets dangerous. And that is, if, I, if, if you'll allow me to kind of um, to give three categories of people when it comes to spiritual gifts and what they believe. You have those who are cessationists who believe that certain gifts cease. And I'm one of those, and I'm giving that opinion here. I'm not, not opinion. I'm giving an argument for that based off of Scripture. There are those who believe that the gifts have that certain gifts like tongues or gift of healing have not ceased; that they still are in effect today. But they're more right thinking in their theology. They believe in the true gospel. They believe in that you're saved by faith, not by works. They deny any kind of heresy. But then there's a whole other group of what I would call wrong-thinking charismatics. So I I would say you have right-thinking charismatics. Charismata are the gifts. Uh, Charis is is grace gifts, so that's where we get that from. So you have charismatics. They're known by this. So I would say you have right-thinking, and then you have an extreme that are wrong-thinking and have heretical theology. Um, And and, uh, I'll give you a quote from one of them. we have, um, uh, this is Benny Hinn, uh, who he says this, quote, I feel I have revelation knowledge already coming on me here. Lift your hands. Something new is going to happen here today. I felt it just as I walked down here. Holy Spirit, take over in the name of Jesus. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen, is a person. He is a triune being by himself, separate from the, Holy, from the Son and the Holy Ghost. Say, what did you say? He's pretending he's getting more revelation now. And he says, um, hear it, hear it, hear it. See, God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. God the Holy Ghost is a person. But each one of them is a triune being by himself. If I can shock you, and maybe I should, there's nine of them. Huh? What did you say? Let me explain. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen, is a person with his own personal spirit, with his own personal soul, and his own personal spirit body. You say, huh, I never heard that. Well, you think you're in a church to hear things you've heard for the past 50 years? You can't argue with the word, can you? It's all in the word. So he taught heresy that there are nine members of the the Godhead. And what's interesting about that is that not only is that a, a heretical document called tritheism as opposed to Trinity or Trinitarian doctrine, but Christianity Today later interviewed him and asked him about that. And he responded this way, quote, that was a very dumb statement. I told my church the very next week the statement was wrong. Then, um, so, so, so what is confusing is that he declared that this was revelation knowledge in the name of Jesus. And so if it was a dumb statement, either Jesus was wrong or he's a false prophet. Because when you prophesy in the name of Jesus, you've got to be right. In the Old Testament, they would kill you. I'm not suggesting that we kill people today. But you only had to be wrong once to be deemed a false prophet. And Deuteronomy teaches that. So... When we think about um, this kind of uh, just really heretical theology, the dangerous thing is this, is that we have those who are cessationists, we have those who are right-thinking charismatics, who are our brothers and sisters, and there's so much that we agree upon. We have wrong-thinking charismatics who teach heresy and deceive people and have all kinds of... But the thing that troubles me is that a lot of right-thinking charismatics do not, for whatever reason, speak out about the wrong-thinking charismatics. They just kind of toss their hands up and say, well, maybe that's true. I, I don't want to say anything unkind about them. And 
I don't want to say, I don't want to be unkind, but we need to speak the truth, and we need to speak the truth in love. And so understanding from Scripture and going back to Scripture is important. Um, I want to talk a little bit about prophecy. Prophecy is the, the next gift here. It says, to another prophecy. Um, now, let me define prophecy for you and um, see if we can't get a handle on what, what he's talking about, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy would be speaking forth or proclaiming words of God, including the foretelling of future events. One way you could summarize that is you could say prophecy is both forthtelling and foretelling. When we hear the word prophecy, we in our own minds typically think today, oh, it's going to tell me about the future. But prophets, especially in the Old Testament, mainly told them what God was doing now for them. Thus says the Lord, repent, right? So a prophet spoke on behalf of the Lord. He, he, forth, he was involved in uh, speaking forth the very words of God. And that includes futuristic prophetic language or futuristic. So it's not only future, it's just one part of what the gift of prophecy involved. Now, um, here's a question that will help us, I think, understand it better. And it's a controversial question because there are people on both sides of this. But does the gift of prophecy exist today? Does the gift of prophecy exist today? As it relates to what the prophecy is in the Bible, yes. The gift of prophecy is prophetically speaking what's in the Word. It's consistent with some of the Old Testament books. But we're looking to do something that's much bigger than that. It's beyond the Old Testament. So you believe that the gift of prophecy can exist today. But it's, it's speaking forth the word of God. It's involved in those who are in a teaching ministry that are speaking forth the word of God and not contradicting the word of God or not adding to scripture. Everybody okay with that? We get into some difficult territory when we start asking these questions because we have to be consistent with scripture. And uh, one of the difficulties actually comes, um, I think you can go to Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching in verse 24, and he's, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, there it is, verse 16, uh, the, the disciples had been speaking in other languages, and people from 15 different nations heard them and were hearing them, uh, and they were, uh, the disciples were proclaiming these uh, good news from God and, and, and um, the mighty deeds of God, verse 11, and it says, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to the men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Um, and he quotes from Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, and I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant, grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord shall come and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
part of the problem with that prophecy is that people say, well, this has already been fulfilled, that Peter was saying that this is Joel's prophecy is all coming true today, and yet some of the things in this prophecy are clearly pointing towards a future time because we still have a sun and a moon and stars, and we have, we, we have no time where it's been described where... Um, uh, like blood and fire and vapor and smoke, but that kind of language is common throughout the book of Revelation. Um, Matthew 24, 29 talks about the sun, moon, and stars at a future time during the millennial kingdom. And so, um, and, and then of course, in Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses that stand before the temple during the tribulation period and prophesy. And so, there is a future time when prophecy will take place. And Peter's point in Acts chapter 2 of quoting Joel was to emphasize the fact that the beginning of the last days was ushered in with the first coming of Christ. And so this era of the last times or the last days have begun, so you shouldn't be surprised to see things different than previous eras. Not only that, but the emphasis should be on the very last point, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's calling them to repent and turn and be saved. Um, and so we have this idea, though, that there are, there are prophecies, even in the Old Testament, of future prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. But what will the content of those be? Certainly, they won't be anything contradictory to Scripture. And it's very unlikely that they'll be different from Scripture because we have uh, the book of Revelation, which says if anyone adds to these words or takes away from them, he will be cursed. And yet there does seem to be room for a future gift. Another passage which is important for us, which we'll start, we can look at more next time together, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. It says, For love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. And so the question is, we have these three gifts listed, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. One verb, as I mentioned last time we were together, is, is, is used passively, that something happens to them to make them fall away. And that's what happens with the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge. Tongues ceases all by itself. It's a different verb. It's in the middle voice. I gave the example that if you had a train, little choo-choo train that went around your Christmas tree and the batteries run out, it ceases to go all by itself. You could use it, say it was involved in its own stopping. But if you put something in its place you know, on the tracks to stop it, then passively it has been stopped. And something will happen in the future to stop the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of knowledge. And... I intentionally use gifts, plural, because in our passage, gifts is plural as well. But we'll talk more about that. But the last thing I want to point out is that what is that thing that happens? It's found in verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So the thing that stops it is the perfect. And you say, well, what is the perfect? We'll get to that as well. So um, we've got five minutes left. I do want to save some time for questions because... Uh, I just want it to be clear. So any closing questions? Just, yes. Okay, so, so the question is, uh, John wrote at the end of his book, anyone who adds these words, and someone might argue and say, well, it's just that book that he's talking about. It's not the whole Bible. Well, that happens to be the last book written in the Bible. So fine. If you want to say it's just that book, that's fine. Don't add to that book. It was the last book written. Therefore, it includes everything written before it, which we include in the scriptures. Yeah. It's a good question. Yes. So, so the question is, did the gifts cease when the Bible was being written? 
Well, so the perfect, I'll give you some options for it. The perfect could be the completion of scriptures. It could be the rapture. It could be the second coming, which is after the rapture, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. It could be the maturing of the church. It could be the eternal state. And we'll be going through those and talking about what it is and when it is. I believe it's yet future. Um, but notice that that one for tongues, tongues will cease. I believe that they have ceased. Why do I believe that? Because they did cease. And I think there's evidence that tongues, which was the gift of speaking foreign languages without having studied that and proclaiming the deeds, the mighty deeds of God in a foreign language that you didn't know, um, I believe that that did cease. And there's evidence even in Scripture that it ceased before the canon was closed. But certainly by the time the canon was closed, the church has always rejected it as heresy. It has never appeared. And it's always been accompanied with heresy. It's only the year 1900 in Kansas, Topeka, Kansas, that they started to say that it has come back. They call it a second wave. And they, they, they declare that it's now acceptable, that the Spirit is now working in a, in a second wave. The problem with that is with the word ceasing. And when it ceases, and it did cease, and we don't argue, we don't, the church isn't in, in arguing that this is carried on. It ceased 1,900 years ago. So I think that, uh, um, that that's a, a discussion for the next time we're together. So Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we'll be back in this text. And we'll try to get here. Let's pray. Father, we're mindful that this passage is not to divide, but it's to bring about unity. Thank you for even questions about how we can be loving to others who might disagree with us. Help us to base our faith on what has been revealed and what we know to be true. Teach us that we might be bold and that we might speak forth your truth and use our gifts to glorify you and build up the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you help us to apply this idea that we should be focused on unity and using our gifts in the body of Christ for your name's sake. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.